his car toppled, building and tired, just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. another exciting episode of the Fire and Water podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the abulient Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Got it right on the first try. Proud of you. I tell you, that was a tough word to say. I had to actually, that, that word actually came from Diablo Frank. <laughs> he gave me a suggestion for this one. <laughs> Among other words that have come from Diablo Frank. Right, right. Well, I... I'm excited, folks. We have got a lot to cover this time around. It's our monthly review episode, and we have got three, count them, three books to talk about. Uh, but before we do that, let's go ahead and thank our sponsors, folks. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? Uh, yeah, I felt a little bad a couple weeks ago that the first time he really formally mentioned J.M. Demetrius on the show in terms of reviewing one of his comics was to mention some of the not-great Aquaman stories that he wrote. <laughs> so I thought I'd plug him this week for Insuck Trades. Uh, this is his graphic novel, Brooklyn Dreams, which he did Ooh. with artist Glenn Barr for, Par- for DC's long-gone Paradox Press imprint. Uh, it is a black and white book. It's it's probably Jam's. I think I think he'd, he'd say his most personal work. Um, I'll give you a little bit of the the, the history. It says Brooklyn Dreams is returns in a single third three hundred eighty four page soft cover volume, bringing the story of seventeen year old Vincent St. Carl Santini's momentous senior year in high school back to life. Uh, it's a very unusual story. A lot of fun. Very heartfelt, and said really came right from from Jam Jam Demetrius's life and brain uh normal price is 12.95 inside trades price is seven dollars and 51 cents that's 42 percent off and did we mention 384 pages uh wow. yeah and we're featuring nice art by glenn Barr. so it's it's a nice change of pace so uh, give it a try brooklyn dreams that's a great book uh that actually came out when i was still working at the comic shop i remember that one well my selection's a little bit on the nose uh i'm covering two quick topics uh swamp thing volume one Raise Them Bones, trade paperback. This is collecting the new 52 Swamp Thing issues 1 through 7. Scott Snyder on writing. Yannick Paquette on art. Uh, this is their sort of vision of Swamp Thing in the new 52 universe. Pretty cool stuff. So uh, if you enjoy this issue of Aquaman we're going to talk about, I would definitely recommend you pick up these Swamp Thing issues. Uh, then, I've mentioned this one a million times before, but I have to mention it again. It's the Firestorm Nuclear Man trade paperback, you guys. I always tell you about it. It clicks the first few issues of Firestorm and whatnot. The reason why I'm mentioning it today is because I don't know why, but as of today, I don't even know if it's still going to be going on when this episode goes live, but there is a drastic sale on the Firestorm trade paperback, folks. 65% off right now. Normally goes for $17.99. It's on sale for 65% off. Uh, you can get it for $6.29. That's unbelievable. That's a deal. 176 pages. If you're a match head, you don't have this trade. Now is the moment to buy it. I completely forgot to say the price of the Swamp Thing book. It's $14.99, which is 42% off. You get it for $8.69. That's 168 pages. Buy them both. Put them on your shelf. 
Read them, love them forever. So, folks, again, that is In Stock Trades, our sponsor. We'd like to give thanks to them. They are the best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. So, Rob, before we get rolling here, man, big week for you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you got Aquaman last week. You got the others this week. You got Swamp Thing. I mean, dude. He was in Secret Origins as well. Oh, my gosh, that's right. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Busy time. Busy time for Aquaman. <laughs> uh, I got to brag for one second. I bought myself a uh, a new electronic device. I bought myself a Nook HD, which is like a large screen. It's like a nine-inch thing. Now, I know, full, before all y'all say anything, I know the Nook's going out of business. I'm not a fool. However, they're very cheap, and <laughs> I did a lot of research on it. It makes a hell of a great digital comic reader. In fact, I got Aquaman and the others digitally and read it on here today. I loved it. You didn't ha- I didn't have to pinch and zoom and any of that nonsense to read the like comics on here. I can read comics at full size. You can get this thing for like I got mine on sale for one sixty five. I think they're one seventy nine right now. That's a hell of a lot cheaper than an iPad or even a Kindle of the same size. So I'm just saying, if you're looking to read comics electronically, I'm finally getting there. Bought myself a Nook HD Plus is what it's called. Definitely worth it getting one. I'm excited. I'm loving it. Speaking of electronic comics, I'm I'm. I'm probably going to buy that uh, new Wonder Woman series they're doing, the digital-only series, right at the What's beginning. That? Sensation Comics. What's that? It's a it's a digital-only Wonder Woman series starting in August, and it's an anthology, and it's going to feature all these different creators doing Wonder Woman stories, and it's called Sensation Comics. I am like, I will buy that from the first issue. I always talk a big game with Wonder Woman, but I never actually buy the comic. So this time I'm going to buy the comic. <laughs> I Good will, for you. Yeah, I will buy that. I've seen some art from it by Phil Jimenez. It's really neat looking. So uh, I think that's a great idea. So digitally, I think I'm going to start with the first issue on that one. That's awesome. Yeah. Good on you. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we're talking about Aquaman number 31. Uh, the story is In the Muck by Jeff Parker, Paul Pelletier, and a party of favorites. The uh, <laughs> There's too many people to mention. And basically, it said it picks up because in the previous issue, Aquaman is searching for this mysterious creature down in the swamp because he's worried about the fact that all the algae in the ocean um, started collecting. And he's worried that it's going to kill all the uh, all the uh, creatures in the sea. And so he's hunting this mysterious creature that he's heard about called Swamp Thing. So he beams down. Yeah, not beams down. I guess he zaps across into the swamp um, <laughs> with uh, Yawara, oddly enough, from the others. She's trailing with him, so it gives uh, gives him some uh, more female companionship since Mira is busy at the moment. Uh, at the same time, these two uh, hunters, uh, the, the swamp guys, are chasing after Swamp Thing. They think they found him, but of course it's just uh, one of the empty husks. But then as they're taking video footage of it, uh, the real swamp thing pops up and uh, pops up out of the swamp, starts attacking them. Aquaman gets in the way, and the two of them tussle for several pages. Basically, this whole book is Aquaman getting his ass handed to him by Swamp Thing. I mean, really, the short version of it is uh, because he keeps trying to sort of get one up on Swamp Thing, and Swamp Thing has to keep explaining to him, "You are out of, you are outclassed here." Uh, Yuwara tries to attack him and slash him, and be, and it doesn't work. I mean, because he's Swamp Thing. Uh, finally, at one point, I'm skipping the whole mirror subplot. There's a whole mirror subplot about her being in an attempted assassination. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, Aquaman commands a bunch of alligators to attack Swamp Thing. Uh, they think that works, and of course it doesn't because, again, he's Swamp Thing. <laughs> uh, he just beams into a new body um, and, uh, you know, basically just tells Aquaman to go pound sand. Um, uh, Aquaman then mentions the whole thing about, you know, the, uh, the, the weird stuff in the, in the, uh, the algae. And he mentions, he says, uh, uh, something says you are dealing with a literal force of nature. The imbalance you fear will not happen. I am through growing the algae. Do you understand? And Aquaman says, then what is destroying the APO reef in the South Pacific? A huge living cloud of plant life has been seen moving through the Philippines since your stunt. This seems to surprise Swamp Thing. He's like a living cloud. I sense it's there and then gone. It doesn't respond to me. And then he disappears, leaving Aquaman with the yet another dried husk uh, behind. And Aquaman uh, has a self-commentary where he says, well, I guess I showed him. (laughs) Uh, Which is great. A little moment of self-awareness with Aquaman. The issue ends with, we're back at the the Triton base. And uh, one of these scientists, one of Shin's partners, this guy named Dr. Orson, has been experimenting on 
the uh, the Mr. Coombs guy, the guy that got torn up by the sharks at the previous couple issues previous. He's been in. He's changed him into some sort of creature, and the issue ends with Coombs in his new form, whatever that is. He's sort of trapped in the sort of back the tank thing, staring out at us with these weird alien eyes. So uh, we're going to see what happens to him at the end of this issue. And then just briefly, there's the whole subplot of Mira trying to find the assassins that tried to kill her in the previous issue, and her and Tula go down to this very foreign, uh, faraway part of Atlantis, which is really sort of separated from the rest of the city. They show up, and the people there don't like Mira, don't like Aquaman, and they don't even bother to hide it because basically the entire region is ready to assassinate Mira. And her subplot ends with them all standing there with knives and guns, standing on these giant crabs, ready to kill her. So we've got that whole storyline going on, too. So that's Aquaman 31. My favorite issue in months. Really? Loved, loved, loved this issue. Gauging by your synopsis and the tone of your voice, maybe you're not on the same page. Oh, no, no, not at all. No, not at all. I loved this issue. I mean, from the, I love I love this depiction of Swamp Thing in this manner, where he just knows he's all that in a bag of chips yep. and isn't having any of it. And you know, maybe that's not how he's being depicted. I'm not reading Swamp Thing currently, so maybe that's not how he's been depicted over there. But I love the way he seems here. He's just totally, you know, like back off, man. You know, and then Aquaman just won't give up because he's a king. He's not used to losing. I mean, Aquaman doesn't lose very often. So he keeps at it. He keeps at it. And his ex-girlfriend is right there. You know, you don't want to look like a schlub putting your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> and then the stuff with Mara where she goes down to Mississippi. And that, <laughs> that is really a great piece. I love that idea of like, oh, there's a piece, you know, an isolated piece, a backwater, literally, piece of Atlantis where they've got their shotguns and, you know, the hillbillies are ready to, to rise up again. And it's like, okay, this is cool. And then the thing with Coombs, obviously, is building. I, I'm guessing his name's going to be Chimera rather than the... Was it King of the Sea or whatever? Yeah, uh, whatever that creature. Whatever that. Yeah. The, the creature King of the Sea, I think, is what it was. Anyway, um, I, I love this whole thing. The battle. In fact, there's. One, I don't mean to jump straight to the art, but there's one panel in here that is one of my favorite panels in Aquaman series since it came back in you know in two, 2011. It's the scene where Aquaman puts his hand in the water. This is just one panel on the second page, and you can see the silhouettes of all the fish underwater. And he's touching the minds of all of them. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yep. That's like one of my favorite panels of all 31 issues of Aquaman. Just love it. Yeah, and Paul Tier's doing great stuff here. I mean, he, he there's a couple of pages here. The All the mirror stuff is by somebody else. Is by, uh, who is it? Who's the, I forget it's who's the, doing the... Um, it's the same guy who did them last issue too, right? I yeah, Alvaro, Alvaro Martinez, yeah. So mm-hmm. he's doing the mirror subplots, but yeah. Paul Peltier is doing a great job. I think these guys are really hitting a nice rhythm. Yeah, I really enjoyed this issue quite a bit. I thought it was a nice contrast that after the previous couple of issues where Aquaman went toe-to-toe with Hercules, no less mm-hmm. than Hercules, there's an issue here where he basically gets his butt handed to him. Yeah. Like, that I like. I like that. that I think that Parker set that up nicely, that it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, you know, we've really ramped up his strength and his powers, but he's not... You know, he's not that crazy. I mean, he can't defeat Swamp Thing because Swamp Thing is just in a whole other universe of power at this point. So uh, I really enjoy And I like that Aquaman's little self-effacing moment of, well, I guess I showed him. Like, he acknowledges, <laughs> yeah, I didn't cover myself in glory there fighting Swamp Thing. But you agree, but I agree with what you said about it. He will not, he will not give up. I mean, he keeps yeah. trying. He calls the alligators to go after him. He goes, he tries all these different things. And they dub the sort of two-thirds page spread of the alligators attacking Swamp Thing is really well done. I mean, it looks mm-hmm. pretty nasty, but I just... It's like you can't defeat a guy who can just put his essence into another plant somewhere. You just... You can't. Exactly. So. Exactly. And that one scene where he grows enormous, and he, he's... You know, that where they finally have that conversation about the reef and the living cloud and everything. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's like he's saying, I have had enough of yeah. your shit. Yeah. You know? Uh, Pelletier, I mean, honestly, he could draw Swamp Thing. I mean, he did a really nice Swamp Thing here. Uh, if you look at some of the pages of Swamp Thing's face and everything, I mean, I mean it looks very, like very much the Alan Moore era Swamp Thing. But because I mean, if you if you read the the more current New Fifty Two Swamp Things, he does look different. He gets horns and stuff like that. But um, God, I just can't. I'm just so excited about this issue. I love it so. It makes me want to go back and read Swamp Thing again. Yeah, yeah. So. Like I said, I think these guys are hitting. They're they're hitting a real rhythm. They really are, yeah. and it's nice. I said it's it's one of the benefits to having a, a creative team. 
consistent creative team. I think they get into a, a nice rapport with one another, even if you know, maybe the guys have never even met. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, they, I hope they're on it for a long time just because, A, they, I think we need to have a nice long follow-up following the, the previous team of Johns and the boys. But also just, just for their own thing. It would be nice for them to put a real mark on Aquaman. And I think they're doing that so far. And the, yep. the stories are a lot of fun. They really are a lot of fun. And I love Aquaman interacting with more of the DCU in its own title. Yeah, you know? absolutely. He's ba- barely been in Justice League for like two years now almost. Uh, he's basically every so often he's just standing around at a panel and he gets like one line of dialogue. So I loved here that he's getting to to. I mean, he he ran into Wonder Woman briefly in the last issue, and then here he's talking Swamp Thing. And as I mentioned on Twitter, I think it's time for DC to bring the uh, my uh, Aquaman team up book Surf and Turf into a reality. <laughs> oh God, that's really bad. <laughs> Tony, you, Triple but- the Iron is hot. Well, the uh, the Mara in the uh, the backwater place. I'm really interested in this subplot too. Like, I I'm excited to see because I I do like the Atlantean politics. I think it's interesting, but I don't like Aquaman being mired in it. So having Mara mired in it is perfect. It's ideal because we still get to see Aquaman being a hero. We get to see Mara being a hero. We still get to see the Atlantean politics. It, it works all the way around. Like, I like that she's down there and she's going to get in some fights. She just you know took out some eels and everything, and we're going to find out these guys who are you know. For those of you who haven't read it, one of the interesting things about these backwater guys is they are supporters of Orm. And along with Mara on this trip is she's got some, I don't know, some dignitary guy, whatever. And then she's got Tula, who is Orm's sister. So it's sort of an interesting setup where Mara goes down there. The people don't like her. However, they do like one of the persons that's with her's brother. So it's sort of like... Um, I don't know. It'd be like uh, Obama going into a heavy Republican state, but bringing Jeb Bush with him or something. I, you know? Yeah, I mean, I really, I mean, the, the political allegories were not terribly subtle here. I mean, I really felt like these guys were going to ask for Aquaman's birth certificate eventually. But uh, <laughs> you know, but hey, I, I appreciate it. It's it's nice that Mira is getting an active subplot. Uh, yeah. I, I would like to see her and Aquaman together, but if they're not going to do that for now, it's nice that she's getting sort of a very proactive, dynamic subplot. And I am really glad. That Tula is getting more to do because I think Aqua Girl. I always liked Aqua Girl as a concept way more than Aqua Lad, um, yeah. and so I'm really they're clearly heading that heading that way for her. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm looking forward to when she just fully says, "All right, I'm Aqua Girl now. That's it. I'm just going to be part of the team here, part of the Aquaman family." So Aqua Woman probably probably Aqua Woman, but um, yeah, I like the way these hillbillies use the sea life. Like you know, they've got the, the trained electric eels, they've got the trained crabs. I mean, it's just it, they've really made an effort to incorporate the sea into their culture. They've got glowing fish to help them light their cavern and everything. So it's they got a, you know a, a school of fish guard their door, you know, camouflage their door. It's just it's clever the way they, they've incorporated the sea life into their culture. So yeah, very good all around. Like I said, we're on a, we're on a nice we're on a nice tear here. These guys <sighs> they're doing a good job. And it's a one and done for the Swamp Thing piece of the story, for the most. That I mean, too, that too. I, I mean, it's part of a longer, larger story, but but in terms of you can read this sort of by itself. That's another really yep. nice thing. Um, such, oh, and such the, a win! I should mention this too. The coloring is really nice by Rain Barreto. Uh, I mean, I know how many times I've gone on and on about Rod Reese, and I love his stuff, but Rain Barreto is doing a really nice job on the coloring. I mean, the the, the, the amount of detail that they put into the stuff and just sort of the, the, the I mean, especially all the stuff with Mira is really gorgeous. It's really yeah. very beautiful. And he uses color to convey a sense of depth very nicely, you know? Well, even with Swamp Thing, um, you get a good look at all the different colors and stuff. And I, I hate to be negative, but it it's a sharp contrast to the next comic we're going to cover. <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, that is Aquaman and the Others, number three, Legacy of Gold. Part three by Dan Jurgens, Lan Medina, and Alan Martinez, and the colors by Matt M- Matt Mila, Matt Mila, I think. Mm. Uh, <laughs> after a quick little bit in Atlantis several thousand years ago, uh, Aquaman and the others are encountering these two brother and sister bad guys, Daria and uh, I forget what the guy's name is. Doesn't matter. Oh, really? What? After, oh, after Anton? Month, Anton? That's after right. Months of speculating. Blank, Anton. Um, <laughs> So Daria uses her powers to uh, turn Yawara's panther friend, uh, Tomo, into some sort of horrible bull monster type creature and forces it to attack Yawara. 
and it goes out of control, and the operative kills it. He saves Yuara's life by killing Tomo, which is very upsetting to me. Mm. And Yuara basically points to the brother and sister and says, you die. She's threatening them. They beam them all back to this castle where they explain about the whole, you, these are our Atlantean treasures, you have to give them up. And Aquaman's, Aquaman's, <laughs> Aquaman says, okay, I've heard your offer, here's mine. You give us Saya, we leave. That's it, that's Aquaman's <laughs> deal. Um, they get into a fight, the um, uh, prisoner of war uses his bracelets to knock the crap out of those two temporarily while they go, while the rest search the castle and search for Saya. Um, the operative uh, attacks uh, uh, the operative and prisoner of war split into one team. Daria finds them. They get into a fight there. Daria uses uh, well, she, she grabs a bunch of the, the goons, a bunch of her goons and has them, has them attack the operative. So as he gets ganged up on Aquaman and what's the kid's, the kid's name? Oh, Aaron. I keep forgetting yep. his name. Aaron. They find Saya and Saya has a vision of Aquaman dying with a big trident stuck in his stomach. She's very upset about that. They run into a the ultimate bad, the big bad behind these two guys, and his name is Legend. And we see him in a full-page shot using his Who's Who logo and his balloon, so that looks very nice. Yuara <laughs> um, ends up in um, the nether realm that uh, Sky has access to, where she talks to uh, Kahina and Vostok. So she gets to see that they're, in fact, somewhat alive. They explain it. They're not, they're not able to move on to the next life, so they're stuck in this nether world here until they can... What does she say? I think she says something about why she's stuck. Oh, uh, you're dead. Black men have killed you. And she says, indeed I am, just as everyone here is. A collection of lost souls who have yet to move on to their final destination. So finally, Aquaman has it, uh, a big face-off with Legend. Legend grabs, uses his powers... Pulls the trident out of Aquaman's own hand, turns it on him, and indeed Aquaman ends up, ends the issue, getting stabbed in the gut with the trident, and he lays there, supposedly dead, just like Saiya's vision. And that's going to be the end of the series. That's the Aquaman's dead, he's not coming back, and uh, it's going to be Omak and the others, starting of issue number four. <laughs> it does end rather abruptly. <laughs> And, you know, I sort of like that. It didn't. It doesn't even have a, like a to be continued or a next issue. It just, it just, it just ends with him laying there, and the legend guy says, "Finally, Atlantean, my father is avenged." And that's the end of the issue. And then next year into like the new Fifty Two plugs. I'm like, wait, what happened? You know? Right. I kept thinking there was gonna be another page. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Aquaman and the others, number three. Wow, a uh, lot to talk about. It's a lot, a lot of, stuff. of stuff. A lot of stuff goes on. A lot of stuff happens. I mean, it's it's one fight scene, basically, but they broke it up into lots of little bits and chapters and broke the team up. Um, first thing is, I would say, I liked the story. I liked the story. I liked the pacing. I liked the things that happened. The art, you know, and we'll get into the details of it. I feel like the art is still pretty good, but it wasn't. it's not quite up to the work that the, these guys did for issue one and two. And, and my big, my biggest beef of the issue is the coloring. The coloring feels very, very flat to me. Um, and I, I hate to be so negative right out of the gate because I did enjoy the comic, but the coloring, like, I'll give you an example. Like, Aurora's boobs are like all about coloring, and this <laughs> very, like, give her lots of cleavage with the coloring kind of thing over and over, and it's just, it's disappointing. So, all right, with that out of the way, really dug the story. I like the developing these two characters, Anton. And uh, Dar- Darya. By the way, yes, Rob was speculating in previous episodes that Anton might be related to Anton Arcane. Right, and they're not. One of our listeners, uh, Russell Burlingame, took it a step further and asked Dan Jurgens for us. Right, and Dan <laughs> said no, that they, they are not. So there we go. From the horse's mouth. Sorry, Dan, you're not really a horse. But uh, no relation to Anton Arcane. So I feel bad for the, the little tiger, puma, panther thing. Yeah, Tomo. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that she had that sort of pet. You know, this character. I guess maybe uh, the artist retired of drawing it or something. I, I, I felt bad that they killed it. I didn't. Well, I think they've killed one before, so I don't think this is... I mean, I think she'll have more. Um, I know, but they still killed that one. Right. It did look pretty cool. It looked very much like a Thundercats kind of monstrous <laughs> beast. So, looks pretty cool with the big tusks and everything. And um, can I just say that Daria and, and um, 
Yawara are hot throughout the issue. I mean, that's, you know, I have to say that by, by, by law. Do you notice that when Tomo's attacking her, she, she doesn't fight back? No, she just, yeah, she just lets she, yeah, because she can't bring herself to kill it. Exactly, which was touching. Like, it's a one little panel thing, and if you're not paying attention, you might not catch it. But yeah, she, it's exactly what she just lets it, because she can't attack her friend. Yeah. So. And the operative, oh, it's, it's gruesome, Blow, blows the animal through the eyeball. Oof. Now, uh, let's see, quick thing also. Uh, the visions that um, Saya. Saya had. You mentioned she had a vision of Aquaman being killed by the Trident. Well, on the, along that same image is Aquaman as a Borg from Future's End. <laughs> Spider-Borg. Or Spider-Cyberman, whatever you want to say. Uh, yeah, uh, he gets transformed into uh, a, a cybernetic creature. I think I stole that uh, Borg joke, by the way, from Tim Wallace from the Blue Beetle blog. So thanks, Tim. Anyway, um, so she actually sees both those futures. She sees an alternate future where Aquaman becomes a, a, a nomad and a future where he gets stabbed by the Trident. Interesting. What do you think of Legend? Um, he's neat looking. I like the he design. Is. I really like the design. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I, I mean, we haven't, I don't know. We didn't get to see a whole, he didn't, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's though the guy out for revenge kind of thing tied into the Atlantean history. There's, it's funny, after all my complaints about, um, uh, like being obsessed with the past and like, you know, all this previous stuff about your father, you know, all the, all the stuff I wasn't terribly interested in. There's a line in this, and now I can't find it, where Aquaman says something like, I worry about the the, the present, not the past. Yeah. Or something like that. I can't, I can't find the damn line. I can't, it's a book's only 19 pages. Oh, here it is. He says, I deal with the present, not the sins of my forefathers. We're leaving. I was like, yeah, more of that, Aquaman. <laughs> 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 Enough of this nonsense. I you know, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that kind of like, look, I'm not responsible for what my ancestors did kind of thing. So we're getting out of here. I like, I, I like how sort of tough he is here. I do enjoy that where he's like, his, you know, here's my side of the bargain. You get nothing. You know, I, I, I like him talking like that. It's, it's cool to, to have super confident Aquaman. Well, yeah, and, and one of the neat thing too is, I mean, if you think about this, this is royalty versus royalty. Because right. the kids are royalty. He's royalty. So, you know, they're, he feels like he has the right to talk to these people this way because it's, you know, sort of equal footing. So I, I kind of dig that. Or actually, technically, he's a king and they're just princes and princesses, I suppose. So it's um I dig that royalty versus royalty kind of thing. It's nice. I, uh, I like the one gag. At one point, somebody refers to Daria and Anton as the Wonder Twins. Yes, oh, yeah, that was the funny. operative. That was great. The operative, yeah. So one of the dangling subplots out there uh, that I hopefully will see some of next issue is uh, Vostok shows up in the um, little ghost world with uh, Yawara and Kahina, and he's got the helmet, so he's got the other you know uh, piece of gold. And he says he's got an, a mission. Yes. So Your next I mission, all the more complicated. I think it'd be interesting if he comes back to the real world but is like a living ghost. I think that'd be interesting. I wonder, I wonder if he could somehow get tapped into Prisoner of War, who's channeling all those dead guys anyway. Mm, well, I was just wondering if the helmet, could, the helmet itself could do it, you know? Mm, be be kind of like um, well, the Books of Magic where Dr. Fate's helmet was just existing onto itself. Oh, that's right. right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, legend. Like, if you don't, if you don't really look at it, if, it, uh, if you pay attention, he's steampunk, which is pretty. He cool. does look. He's very steampunk. Yeah, I love his mask. He's like, I, I can't put my finger on it, but it just sort of feels like something aquatic. Maybe it's because it looks like Merman from uh, He Man. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. <laughs> but I dig yeah, it. It's a neat. It's a neat design, and I like that. Again, you know, the full page splash is nice. Everything goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a so far. I mean, we're only three issues in. This book is all plot. There's, you know, like Aquaman does not get a lot of characterization here, and that's fine because he gets a lot of it in the other books. So, I mean, I understand he's trying to maybe Jurgens is trying to write something, you know, write a different Aquaman. But this is a very plot-heavy book. I mean, as you said, this whole thing is basically one big fight scene, mm -hmm. cut up in all different parts. So, uh, and speaking of that, we mentioned that in the previous issue. I love this issue's cover. It's another very exciting mm. stuff happening cover. You know, I love so far. I think the Aquaman, the other covers have been really good, really exciting, and to me, like very '70s Marvel, which to me is like a very big compliment because I love '70s Marvel covers. Uh, it's just it's nice to see like exciting things happen. You know, yeah. it's not a poster image. It's not a. It's not just a pose or whatever. It's crazy stuff going on, and I really enjoy that. And you know, 
I don't know if Legend is going to stay around, but, you know, Aquaman needs more bad guys, so what the hell? Let's give him another bad guy that can come back and, you know, not have to use Ocean Master and Black Man all the time. <laughs> or Scavenger in a pinch. Scaven- right, Scavenger, yeah. I mean, you know, we need to boof- bo- uh, uh, boost up the um, Rogue Gallery, so yeah. that's a good thing. I like, for, for character building, I like how they broke everyone into teams of two. I thought that was really good. Gave each one of them character moments. You know, you got to see some building of Yawara. You got to see some building of, uh, what, did, what did we say his name was? Aaron? Aaron, yeah. We need to come up with a name for him. Um, they haven't come Re- up with a name of him. I guess we, Com- yeah. Comic Relief? I don't know. <laughs> Snapper Car. Right. You, you see another one of uh, Prisoner of War's guys, you know, his ghost people. yeah. You really get a good good feeling for the operative in this one too. So I mean, yeah, it's a lot of good character building in this. I hadn't thought about that until you mentioned it. So. Yeah, this this will probably make a real. I don't. Are we sort of complaining about this? But this will probably make an amazing trade because I think it's the the pieces lead into each other very much, very heavily. And uh, it, it said because it all just feels like it's one big story uh, in mm-hmm. terms of the action. Probably when you read it all in one sitting, it's going to move like gangbusters. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's a five-part story, so that'll probably be your first trade right there, unless they have yeah. like a six-issue, one-and-done kind of thing, yeah. which would be nice. Yeah. So, so uh, with my minor niggles you know, aside, I, I'm I really dug it. I'm 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 on the train, looking forward to more. Yeah, uh, very, very, very briefly. I'm just going to mention that, as I said at the top of the show, Aquaman does appear in Secret Origins number two, uh, where he gets the origin is written by Jeff. Parker. The story is called Graduation, and it basically just shows a little bit of the of the gap of Aquaman's life as a teenager right after he graduates college. And it's mostly stuff that we've covered before. We're not really going to get into it here. It's just um, my only just as a as a I'm happy that Aquaman got brought into the Secret Origins book so early because in the previous Secret Origins series that DC did in the '90s. Aquaman did not make a single appearance at all 50 issues. He never got not an e- origin. Not even when they were doing the, the segments with the Earth-1 characters and the Earth-2 characters, yeah, huh? They did. Okay. So uh, <laughs> they did not do – he never got an – after 50 issues of two characters each, they never got around to doing Aquaman. So I'm very happy that they did it so soon in the new Secret Origins title. That said – I kind of got annoyed with the fact that because Batman was the main feature, Batman got the cover. So Aquaman didn't get the cover. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. Uh, you know, come on. I mean, he got, he got sandwiched in between Batman and Starfire. Um, but it's, you're, lucky, you're lucky Starfire didn't get the cover. Yeah, I guess, uh, well, Batman. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I'm happy that he appeared in, in Secret Origins. I maybe wish he could have been the lead feature, but, but it's okay. I'm glad he, like I said, I'm glad he got the shot. <laughs> All right, folks, so head out to your stores, pick up Aquaman 31, pick up Aquaman and the Others number three, pick up Secret Origins number two, pick up Swamp Thing, what? 32. 32. Give DC your hard-earned cash and support the the King of the Seven Seas. Absolutely. You can spend your entire allowance on Aquaman comics this month. Awesome. I feel like I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so okay, well we're going to take a short break uh, and then we'll come back and talk about Firestorm number 11. So in honor of Swamp Thing's appearance, you're going to hear the incredibly awful, terrible Swamp Thing cartoon theme song. We'll be back in about 30 seconds. Amazing. <laughs> dun, dun, mm, <laughs> the worst mm, thing ever. 
So I love fun. it. It's so bad. I can't help but love it. But you know, one thing I will say in its its defense is the creator's credit for Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson comes at the top of it before you even get to the title of the show. Huh. That's okay. pretty cool. It actually it gives you the producers. Then it says created by Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson, and then Bernie Wrightson, and then it does the title. So like that's pretty cool that they got their names that far up front. That's awesome. If you can get through that horrendous song. <laughs> you know, I made a CD years ago of like '80s cartoon themes. It's got like 70 songs on it or something like that. But I had a little break, a little section. Like I broke them up to set. I'm so, I'm so OCD or uh, CDO. I had to break it up into sections. Like this is the section for big robot cartoons. This is the section for cartoons that came from comic books. You know, and the Swamp Thing thing like came right after Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, I just, oh, I just loved it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> folks, we are here to review. Uh, a, a issue of, as my good friend Rob would say, classic Firestorm. This is the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 11. Cover dated April 1983, but folks, set your Wayback Machine. Uh, if you're going to head back, be sure to go back to January 6th, 1983, right after the new year, folks. January 6th. My thanks to uh, Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for that date. Uh, cover here is... Two hyenas. That's right, kids. Two hyenas attacking Firestorm on the cover, slashing him, and it says, face it, kid. Two hyenas are deadlier than one. Great cover. Ridiculous cover copy. Um, What you've got is, as I said, they're attacking, but they're actually like almost floating in midair above the skyscrapers of New York, which is kind of nice because it's a bit of a a callback to the very first appearance of Hyena in Fires from the Nuclear Man number four, where, again, they're, they're sort of in front of a bunch of buildings and Hyena's attacking Firestorm. So a little bit of a callback to that. And this cover is by Pat Broderick and Dick Giordano. Again, gorgeous art. Absolutely loved it. Nice coloring, too. Mm-hmm. Really, really well done. All right, folks, we're going to jump right into this thing. And this is this issue inside is a Jerry Conway, Pat Broderick, Roden Rodriguez, uh, Gene D'Angelo, and Adam Kubert joint. The issue is called Waking Darkness. Dun, 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 dun. All right, so the issue starts off. Firestorm is taking a little break up on the crown of the Statue of Liberty, takes a little nap, and unfortunately falls through the Statue of Liberty um, as he falls asleep because, you know, he has that density manipulation power. He falls through. He has this horrible nightmare of all these different images uh, kind of collectively describing them. One is where he's being transformed into a wolf and Professor Stein's sort of a monster. He's got Doreen turning her back on him. Clarissa, Professor Stein's ex-wife, is sort of dominating over him. You know, Ronnie's life is just falling apart in these dreams. So he, he falls through the Statue of Liberty. He is confronted by a janitorial worker who sort of smacks him with a broom, which is great. And, uh, the, the janitorial worker sort of chews out Firestorm for scaring him, and Firestorm just says, you know, I've had enough of this, and he takes off. We find out that it's been two days since the previous issue where Ronnie was attacked by Hyena, or a second Hyena, and was also faced by Clarissa, Professor Stein's ex-wife. So Firestorm and Professor Stein, they fly to Professor's apartment. They separate. Uh, Ronnie goes off to school. He knows he's running late, but, hey, look at that. A stranger drives by in a car and says, hey, kid, want a Zagnut? Get in the car. No, it's, uh, it's Clarissa, Professor Stein's ex-wife. She says she'll give him a ride to school. So Clarissa drives Ronnie to school, and while they're chatting in her sporty car, and the hair and her hair is being blown everywhere, it looks all rock and rolling, she tells Ronnie she is still in love with Martin Stein. And that Professor Stein basically, uh, as, he, as he got his Nobel Prize and started making the Hudson nuclear plant, he, uh, he, he didn't have enough time for her, and they just sort of grew apart, and eventually um, they, they split up, but she's still in love with him, though, and she wants Ronnie to try and help him get back, help them get back together. And Ronnie's just kind of thinking, boy, why, do I, why is everybody dumping their problems on me? So Ronnie gets to school. We get a subplot update on uh, the status of Ron, just to sort of remind the reader about Lorraine O'Reilly. We were reminded of Ronnie's dad. We remind the issues of, with Professor Stein and his issues with Doreen. It's kind of to catch you up as a reader, make sure that you know all the subplots continue to be juggled in the air. And then Ronnie falls asleep in class, and he bumps into his girlfriend, Doreen Day, who has gone punk. She has chopped her hair short. She's wearing a leather jacket and tight pants. Uh, at best, I guess I could describe it as a Pat Benatar, a blonde Pat Benatar, maybe. And Ronnie's like, whoa, she says she did it because she noticed Ronnie checking out a girl at the airport the other day. So, hmm, all right. 
Next up, we get Summer Day, which is Doreen's sister, who is also uh, one of the hyenas. She is at the hospital with Dr. She, and she's being examined. She's, uh, she's in her underwear, but anyway, we'll come back to that. And they're talking about how she's trying to control her anger, and the way they're doing that is with sedatives. They're keeping her side of doped up to keep her, her anger at society and everything and her turning into hyena under control. And they ask her about the sleep. They, they ask the doctor about the sleepwalking, and he says, oh, that's normal. Don't worry about it. And Doreen, as they're heading out, noticed that Dr. She, he seems really repressed, like a bottled up volcano. Hmm, sharp eye there, Doreen. So, let's see. Uh, again, more subplots. Professor Stein gets his ass fired from Concordance Research. Very depressing, especially by somebody with a... With a uh, alliteration for a name, Quentin Quayle. Just that's it's a great a, name. It is a great name, but still. So Firestorm, it, as Professor Stein's walking out, he's getting ready to clean up his desk. Ronnie and Professor transform into Firestorm, and Professor, as usual, is saying, "You better have a good reason for this, Ronald." And ro- turns out Ronnie is sick as a dog, or in this case, sick as a hyena, and he goes crashing through a chimney. He's a wreck. He's sweating. He's got a fever. He doesn't know what to do. They're starting to put it together that it probably has something to do with the scratch he got by the hyena last issue. So they go off. They decide they're going to go see Dr. She. He's the one who's been treating uh, Summer Day for her uh, wear infection, thinking maybe he can help her. Well, Ronnie's a mess. He can't fly straight. He, he's flying along. He actually gets his foot stuck in a wall, which cracks me up. Uh, as they're about to go find Dr. She, they start to put two and two together. They go, wait a minute. Dr. She was here at this hospital. Hyena appeared at the other hyena appeared at this hospital. Wait a minute. Uh-oh, is this bad? And you get a full-page splash of the hyena attacking Firestorm. <laughs> Slashing, attacking. Well, this, this, Sorry. I love well, the Power Records-esque sound effects there. You like that? That's the danger of, of hyena. You know, Firestorm is a blaster, and he's not good in a physical fight. And that's why hyena makes a good match for him. When hyena can get close and get the drop on Firestorm and get into a physical confrontation, Firestorm's in trouble. So this new hyena is just ripping him to shreds, screaming, you know, die, and everything. It's clearly revealed that this hyena is, in fact, Dr. She. He says, you found me. He talks about um, a lot of his personal issues we found out in the issues where uh, he got – basically, he was a doctor in another country, came to our country, but because of a bunch of petty rules and regulations, he had to start his whole career over. The, the, his doctoral – doctoral – doctor – I don't even know how to, his doctorate? Doctorate. Wouldn't transfer to this country, so he had to start all over as like, you know – bottom rung. So, um, Hyena threatens him. Hyena starts, runs out of the hospital, runs out of the hospital, and Firestorm's knocked out. When he wakes up, it turns out that he is transforming into a were-creature himself. His hair is furry. He looks like a 1950s uh, Universal Studios you know, werewolf movie, werewolf, except his head's on fire. And he's strapped down to a bed. The doctor's trying to explain to him what's going on. Firestorm's not having it. Uh, then Summer Day shows up and she says, hey, can I have a minute with Firestorm? I want to explain what's happening. So we get some rounded corners, and she explains the whole origin of what happened here and how Dr. She got infected with a were-virus. Basically, her and Dr. She were falling in love. They're making out, and on a full moon, she couldn't control it. She transformed into the, the hyena and scratched him and also infected him. It turns out it's not a like a bacterial infection. It is a real, honest-to-goodness curse. Woo, that's crazy. So, um, she, as she's talking, she's getting a bit animated, and she transforms into a hyena as they're talking. Again, off with the clothes, don't know what that's about. And she bursts out the window and goes running. Firestorm says, uh-oh, okay, I'm getting out of here. And meanwhile, he overhears that the hyena has been spotted on the World Trade Center. So Firestorm flies up there to the World Trade Center. He's about to confront the hyena. They're punching each other. They're fighting. The second hyena shows up, uh-oh, double trouble. So he's surrounded by hyenas. That one, This one, which is Summer Day, launches a firestorm. He blasts her and knocks her off the World Trade Center. That's 110 stories up, folks. And she is falling, and, and Professor Stein decides to rub lemon into that wound and says, she's going to fall over 100 floors. You've killed her, Ronald. You've killed the sister of the girl you love. And Ronnie's screaming, no! To be continued next story in uh, next issue in a story we call Howl. So, um, wow! Real quick before we get to Rob's thoughts on it, um, I just want to say what I forgot to say at the top of this was twenty-four page story, nine distinct scenes. You know, if you look at this at a ten thousand foot level, what you've got here is a story of three people. You got a story of an angry man 
whose career was ripped away from him by rules and regulations, and now he has the power to make people suffer. The other, the second person is a, a very sick woman who's on the road to recovery. She's gone through a bunch of horrible mental anguish, as well as physical anguish. And she's torn in between the man she loves and this horrible disease. And then you've, the third person, of course, is our hero, who's realizing he's sick, but he's putting that aside for his concern about the threat to the public. So kind of a, a triple threat there in the story. So, Rob, what would you think? Well, I mean, it's enormous fun. I mean, as all these have been to this point. I, you know, um, the first thing that actually occurs to me is not even really about the story, but on the cover, I think this is the beginning of DC putting creator credits on their covers. Because at hmm. the top of the cover, it says by Jerry Conway, Pat Broderick, and Rodan Rodriguez, and those were not on previous issues. Oh. And this is, I think, this is the beginning of when DC started to do that. Interesting. So okay. I just noticed that. I was like, oh, look at that. There's their name. So oh, that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's fun. I wonder what the hell kind of color, um, Clarissa's hair is supposed to be. <laughs> sort of purplish, It's isn't it? purplish, but I mean, what color yeah. is that supposed to translate into real life? I mean, when some, when you color someone's hair blue in a comic book, it just means their hair is black, but you want to give it some depth. You just want to make it flat black shape. And Ronnie's hair is clearly like an auburn or brown, but what, what color is that in real life? Is that... It's not gray. So what is? Why is her hair purple? I don't understand. I, it's like a it's like a lowest lane color. It's, but I think it's supposed to be black. But it's like okay, not, not right. quite black. Okay. Um, the bit where Firestorm falls asleep in class that happened yeah. to me. <laughs> Literally happened to me. And the, apparently, I fell asleep in the middle of class, and the teacher told the rest of the students not to wake me up. <gasps> nice, huh? Um, I, I have a confession to make, folks. Rob knows this, but I fell asleep on the last Who's Who podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Talking, no less. We had to go back and re-record. You should have heard it, folks. He just started going on and bizarre dissertations about shapes and stuff. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? He's going to wind his way back, and then, yeah. I'm very disappointed you didn't make that the outro. By I know. I wanted to spare you. You know. So, so I, I feel for Ronnie. I totally get where he's coming. Yeah. from. Yeah, I like the physical comedy. Firestorm getting stuck in the wall. That's like a fun bit. The full page shot of Hyena bursting through the door is great. It's yeah. really powerful. Um, I love the physical comedy of where Hyena is chasing those three, the orderlies and the doctors. And there's one guy who's literally has all of his feet are off the ground. <laughs> uh, you can hear that Warner Brothers, uh, not Warner Brothers, Hanna-Barbera, the sound effect when people run in place. Well, his lines build it too. He's like, call the police, call the fire department, call the chief resident, call anyone, anyone yeah. before he... And, yeah. and then he... He got, I think he got killed because there's a big slash and he's, he hits the ground. Hits the ground, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, if it was a cartoon, he'd be running by a door, a lamp, a chair, <laughs> a door, a lamp, a chair, a door, a lamp, a chair. Um, <laughs> the part of Firestorm's face being a wolf is kind of terrifying. It's really yeah, creepy. it is, isn't it? It's really horrible. I also wonder, how can Firestorm have his head on a pillow with his hand on fire? Uh, you know, there's an issue of JLA's. Oh, gosh, I forget. Somebody sent it to me recently. I think it might have been Keith G. Baker. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But it's an issue where Firestorm's in bed and because uh, he's sick. I want to say it's like maybe 205. Anyway, and they say something about asbestos pillows. They went to the extent of saying he had asbestos pillows. So I have to assume either this is an asbestos pillow or the fact that it's not actually fire because uh, it's really supposed to just be roiling energy, not I guess flame. So, yeah, yeah. That's just, that's just a funny visual that he's sitting there just sort of. You know, people like not burning their mar- he's, uh, toasting their marshmallows over his head or something uh, like that. But does, doesn't he look like a Universal monster? Like he does. Werewolf? He does. Yeah. This has that feeling to it. I mean, you mentioned about the rounded corner flashback. That has a feeling of a Lon Chaney type movie, you know, where you can just picture about what happened to You know, you can think about those flashbacks where he would talk about what happened to him and stuff. So it, it has that feel to it. And, of course, the nice use of, you know, real world places. You've got the Statue of Liberty and then the World Trade Center, of course, which, you know, is unfortunately no longer a place. But, uh, you know, yeah, so it's, it's, it's enormous fun. It's enormous fun. These are all, like, really, really fun, straight-ahead superhero adventures with some nice bits of characterization. Plus, you get a girl in her underpants, so it's all good stuff. All right, let's talk about that. All right, so apparently the, the, the day girls really like taking their clothes off. Because, uh, you know, last issue we had Doreen walk around in her negligee, which I was um, – I screwed up and didn't put that on the Tumblr. Yeah, for, chastised for the chastised by Chris Franklin in, in particular. Right. Yeah. So I promise you, summer inner underwear will be on the Tumblr just for you. <laughs> um, that like, I don't know why she's not like in a gown or something. And also, she's you know she's a grown woman. She's in her twenties, I think, and she's sitting there in her underwear, and her dad's in the room. 
I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I, I don't have an adult daughter, so I don't know. Maybe that's normal. But, like, my, you know, my, my eight-year-old still likes to run around the house naked when she can. I have to grab her with a towel and say, stop it. But I don't know that I'd be comfortable when she's an adult. I don't know. It just seems weird, you know? Yeah, it's anyway. a little old to be sitting there in, in the doctor's office. With you. Yeah, so she's not wearing her clothes then, and then later on she transforms into and, and, uh, the hygiene. She rips off, you know, her clothes are coming off again. I'm just telling you, they just like being naked. So, uh, I want to reiterate what you said. I love the New York iconography. Absolutely love it. When 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 Ronnie falls asleep in the Statue of Liberty, I love those kinds of scenes with Ronnie really tied in with the New York stuff. It means so much. Now, what I am wondering, though, is Ronnie's falling asleep. What's the professor doing during all this? Like... Is he just sleeping with him? Is he just, you know, asleep as well? Or is he like, Ronnie, come on. He's just sitting there, yeah. He's got nothing to read. He's just like, do-do-do-do-do-do. And that nightmare is really trippy. Like, there's a lot of stuff. Like, if you really think about the fact you've got Doreen turning her back on Ronnie, at the same time Clarissa, like, dominating him. It's like, he's got some some girl problems, you know, issues going on there. So, uh, I like the commentary from the janitor. You know, he's, he's basically, you know, saying you super guys, you know, you, you think that you can do whatever and you've got that, you're like those super punks with the weird tower in the middle of the East river. Yeah. I like that. Know? I like that mention. Yeah, that. yeah. So it's just kind of cool how it's like, you know, it's supposed to be the regular guy and how the superhero world affects them. So that's nice. I like that. Uh, let's see. Now I got a question for you now. See, I've read ahead. I mean, not recently, but in general. So I know where some of this is going. What do you think about the scene with Clarissa asking for Ronnie's help with Professor? Uh, in what context? I mean, where do you think it's going? Yeah. Well, I mean, knowing what I, I have not read ahead, so knowing what I exactly. know, knowing what That's I know, what I'm asking of, you. yeah, knowing what I know of superhero comics, it feels like there's going to be something sinister. Uh, it's, okay. It's not just going to be this benevolent, like she really loves. You know, she says she loves him, but I feel like it's. There's going to be some other alternative, ulterior motive because it's a comic book and you have to have that. Okay. She's being nice not- to Ronnie so far. She drives very fast. Yeah, she does. She's she's very, dangerous. Very I fast. think that's yeah. part. I think you're supposed to get that feeling like she lives on the edge. Kind yeah. Of thing. I mean, she is racing through the streets of New York in her in her in her muscle car on top of right. it. She doesn't just have a regular car. She's like a Mustang or something. I know nothing yep. about cars, but it's got a spoiler, so it's it's uh, not a little Toyota or something. So well, it's, yeah, it's sort of generic muscle car, but it's definitely muscle car, no yeah. doubt about it. And her, you can see her hair flying everywhere as yeah. she's driving as fast as she can. Yeah. So, and I gotta wonder how far does a professor live from Ronnie's school? Like, how far? You know, New York's ten miles across or so, but it can still take like a long time to get places. So, yeah, yeah, getting yeah, it's it's hard to get anywhere in New York quickly. Exactly, from my experience. <laughs> um, Doreen going punk. Um, like, if it, if those words weren't in the in the dialogue, like you'd have no idea she had gone quote unquote punk. <laughs> Hit me with your best shot. Right. I mean, it is a little Pat Benatar-ish, but actually all I'll say here is the issue of Doreen going punk comes up in the letters page of an issue a few months down the line, actually more than a few months, and uh, we will address it when it comes up because of who wrote the letter. I'll just leave Ooh, it at that. Ooh, interesting. Yes. Um, so, but, but really, if you think about it, what it was is Ronnie was checking out a girl in the airport who had a tight pants on. <laughs> everyone, in this, everyone in this comic has tight pants on. Right. But she noticed, and she, she even said, like, eyes up here, soldier, or something like that, whatever, you know. Um, and so because of what she saw her boyfriend looking at, she has changed her whole look. <laughs> so once again, Doreen has done a total bonehead move of change your entire personality for your high school boyfriend. That's a horrible thing to do, honey. That's not going to build your self-confidence. You're, you're changing yourself for some guy that clearly is checking out other women. I just, Doreen... You're getting it wrong again. <laughs> so she's she's on the outs this month, folks. Sorry. Uh, what else? Now Doreen was useful here when she noticed the doctor. She was a little little squirrely. She didn't like what's going on there. Oh, there's a there's a panel here I absolutely love. It's uh, it's on page twelve. It's where Professor Stein right after he gets fired and the firestorm transformation happens. There's a whole panel sort of dedicated to catching up the reader on what all this means. The transformation. It says, and now a bizarre nuclear transformation overwhelms Professor Martin Stein. His body is swept away. He becomes a stream of high-energy atomic particles, traveling almost instantaneously a distance of miles to where Ronnie Raymond waits. And in a blinding burst, like the one that first joined them months before during a nuclear accident, they fuse into one being, the Nuclear Man Firestorm. I just love that. Like, in one panel, it catches you up everything you need to know about the character. Maybe not everything, but most everything. 
So I like that. And I love the rooftop scene where Ronnie's sick. I, I actually I, I caught the flu a couple years ago, and I used these panels on my blog to basically say, I'm out, guys. I, I I'm remember sick. that. Yeah. I'm sick, and I put I use these panels to, to, to explain it. The, uh, you, you said you like the comedy of Ronnie's foot stuck in the wall. That's not in the dialogue. I think that's all Broderick. Yeah, because it took me a second to figure out what is he doing exactly because he doesn't yeah. say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's lots of little details. I, you mentioned the page 12. There's another panel I love where he's zigzagging around the sky out of control. And yeah. you see all the trails. Mm-hmm. And it looks – it's like – you know, it's like all these crazy patterns and stuff. I think that's like a nice little bit where he's – you know, zip, 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 that, and then he smashes into the chimney. It's, it's like a uh, Greatest American Hero or uh, or Dark Side's Omega Beams. <laughs> yes, that's that's what I was thinking of. Is the Omega Beams actually? Yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking of. So um, there's there's some really good stuff here in the flashback where Summer's explaining, you know, being sick, where she kind of talks about how when she was in Arizona, you know, trying to fight off the where, the hyena uh, curse, how she says, you know, she was like a junkie. And they had to drug her to keep her from, you know, all the hysteria and stuff like that. I was like, wow, that's really powerful stuff for a kid's comic. I was like, wow. I feel really, you know, this woman was just a total wreck. You know, as you said, almost like a junkie trying to fight this off. And it just made me really feel for her. And so then, like, when she transforms into the hyena, it's almost like I'm cheering for her. Like, yeah, go get that other hyena. Go get him. <laughs> so, and then at the end, you know, the World Trade Center is a little, a little high to pick. I mean, they're just hyena dog people and they climbed 110 stories to get up there for this fight that's pretty high <laughs> so um i think what was going on here like when when the the summer day hyena leaps at firestorm i think she actually wasn't leaving at firestorm i think she was leaping at the other hyena i think she was going to help him hmm. that's how i took it and that last panel with those orange bursts come out of firestorm's face i love that screen, that's you know, nice that's so yeah. well it's done. a nice effect it's so nice well effect. done and as much as I love the hyena, I really, really do. I love the way that the hyena looks and everything. It looks nothing like a hyena. It looks like a dog. <laughs> like, I really came home when in the New 52 when they did the hyena in there, and Dan Jurgens drew the hyena. It's like, oh, that's what a hyena looks like? Wait a minute. <laughs> so, eh, I don't care. You just go with it. So, overall, love this issue. You know, I was a little concerned about, because all the other previous, you know, issues had been either a one-shot or a two, two-shot story. You know, this one, we're up to issue two. We're going to issue three. It says the letters page that the story concludes next issue, but I don't think that's right. I think it goes for a fourth issue. Hmm. Um, it may just be a little hanging on. I don't know. We'll have to see. Either way, you know, it's it's the longest story we've had yet, and I will say part two was very strong. Part one was just a lot of setup, but part two was extremely strong. So really enjoying the story. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And... um Again, folks, this is not reprinted anywhere. It's a crime. So you need to go out and buy these issues and uh, read them with us because, God, they're good. They're so good. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to skim through my notes real quick, see if I forgot anything else. I don't think I did. All right. Yep. Love the art. And um, you know, we'll have Broderick on the book for a few more. Uh, I guess he's on the book for about six more issues. And then we'll switch artists. And uh, you know what? Let's just ride this wave. It's very exciting. So He did great work on this book. He did great work. He really did. He really, really did. All right. Uh, anything else we need to say, Rob? I don't think so. I think we're ready to go. Okay, folks. Well, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for reading along. Hope you're enjoying the books. You can find us on the social medias and such. Send us your comments, please. We would love to hear what you think of these issues or about our insane ramblings. You can reach us. Uh, what's our email address, Rob? Firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Yep. You can also hit us up on the social medias. You can find Rob at Aquaman Shrine on Facebook and Twitter. You can find me as Firestorm Fan on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, and Instagram. I have been posting on Google Plus. I have been. I've heard that rumor. I saw it written on the bathroom wall, but I have yet to believe it. And uh, you can also visit our Tumblr where we will be posting some of the images from these comics, specifically (laughs) one of Summer Day in her underwear for Chris Franklin. Uh, Never mind. I hope his wife doesn't mind. Anyway, what's that Tumblr address, Rob? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com.perf. Dot what? Dot perf? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, folks, until next time, uh, be sure to get next month's comics and fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together.
up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah!